At the Canaan Church, our mission is bringing people to Christ and helping every person to become a mature disciple in Christ. Canaan Christian Church, where people dare to dream. This morning, we're going to look at um, the gospel according to Luke in the 15th chapter, primarily um, looking at verses 11 through about uh, 24. I'm not going to read it all in, in its entirety, but that's kind of the basis of, of where we're coming from, a very familiar passage of scripture in dealing with uh, the prodigal son. And um, I really believe, I really believe that in addition to all the things that Jesus is, that Jesus was a master communicator, that he just understood who he was speaking to and knew how to get across what they need, how they needed it, and when they needed it. And certainly when we talk about making disciples, communicating is a big part of that. In addition to communication is how we live. You know, people say that, you know, our lives may be the only Bible that some people see or read. In other words, we should live by example. But when it comes to sharing the gospel, understanding who we're speaking to is important. And sometimes the way I speak to one group of people or the way I speak to another group of people may not be the same way that I speak with everybody. I, sometimes you gotta change it up. I have two children. I can't talk to my son the way I can talk to my daughter. They're two different people. They learn differently. Sometimes one's a little bit more sensitive than the other. And on any given day, it could be either one of the kids. But I know that I have to change. I can be a little bit more direct with my son. But sometimes I have to put on what they call the kid gloves when talking with my daughter. I have to understand who I'm speaking to, when I'm speaking to them, and what they need in the moment. Before we get into Luke 15, if we were to go back in the 12th chapter, we would find um, in verse 1, Luke 12 and 1, we find that Jesus is outside preaching to a immeasurably large crowd. And the text says that the crowd is so large that they were trampling on one another. It's in Luke chapter 12, verse 1. It says, in the meantime, an immeasurable multitude of people had gathered together so that they trampled one another. Then he, Jesus, began to say to his disciples, first of all, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, 
which is hypocrisy. So we see Jesus is beginning to preach and this great big old crowd has gathered. And you can pick up on the fact that they're so excited in wanting to hear what Jesus has to say that they have no regard for one another and they are trampling on top of one another to try to get as close as they can to Jesus. Then if we were to go over into chapter 13 in verses 1 and 2, again, Luke chapter 13, verse 1 says, there were present at that season some who told him, him being Jesus, about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus answered and said to them, do you suppose that these Galileans were worse sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered such things? Jesus again is speaking to this large crowd and there was a group that pressed their way even closer to Jesus, not necessarily because they wanted to hear what he had to say, but because they wanted to point fingers at a certain group of Galileans. And they tell them, hey, there's this group of Galileans who were killed by the Romans and the Romans mixed their blood in the sacrifices. And Jesus asked them, well, do you think that just because of how they died, that they were worse sinners? In other words, we gotta be careful in how we judge what we think we see or what we think we know about somebody else's life, somebody else's situation. Just because somebody's struggling doesn't mean that they've sinned, doesn't mean that they've done something wrong. Sometimes it's better to sit back and not say anything. And I think we saw that over the course of this past week with the unfortunate situation with this young lady that fabricated this abduction story in Birmingham or near Birmingham. I think she was actually in Bessemer, which is like a suburb. And people were in a rush to say one way or the other, we need to believe her, we shouldn't believe her. All these rumors were flying around. Sometimes it's better to just leave it alone, let it play out before we rush one way or the other to judgment. Now my prayer is that she gets whatever support and help and prayer that she needs because she's going to have, you, if, if, when you make a, a, a public mistake like that, that's going to follow you, that's going to follow her for a long, long time. And so my prayer is that she has a loving family and a loving church family that will wrap her, their arms around her and help guide her through this uh, situation. So verse um, 
chapter 13, verses 22, we see that this group of folks are trying to get Jesus to look at these uh, one particular set of Galileans and how they died as if to say that they're worse sinners than everybody else. And Jesus is like, if you think that that is the test, if you will, for determining whether or not somebody is a worse sinner than somebody else, you clearly haven't been listening to what I've been saying, and you clearly have this twisted up. We are all sinners saved by grace. And sin is sin. The Bible teaches us that the, the only sin that's worse than any other sin is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. After that, sin is sin. My sin may not be yours and yours may not be mine, but that don't make me any better. It also doesn't make me any worse. So Jesus, we see, is encountering this large crowd, and amongst the crowd would have been the 12. The disciples would have been there. Um, we see that he's asked to address this situation with these Galileans and, and Romans. Then, still in chapter 13, the, the, the scene shifts to where he's inside a synagogue, and he heals a woman who had been dealing with an infirmity for 18 years. And he does it on the Sabbath, which of course upset the rulers of the synagogues, the leaders of the synagogues, because they saw him as working on the Sabbath, which number one shows us that they did not understand who they were dealing with. And they didn't understand that they were dealing with Jesus, the son of God. So they question why, why is he doing this? Why is he healing on the Sabbath? And so Jesus basically tells them, there's not a single person in here who would not take, loosen up their oxen and allow them to be free and go get a drink of water. Let alone this woman who has been bound by, for 18 years Shouldn't she also be loose? Of course, they couldn't answer that, right? So now we find in uh, chapter 14, Luke 14, verses 1 and 2, it says, Now it happened as he went into the house of one of the rulers of the Pharisees to eat bread here it is, on the Sabbath that they watched him closely. And behold, there was a certain man before him who had dropsy. And dropsy is like severe swelling in the body. And so Jesus goes into this house of a leading Pharisee to eat bread on the Sabbath and he does it again he heals a man on the Sabbath. Jesus is just, from the religious leader's standpoint, breaking all the rules. And they are fired up 
I mean, it said that he came into the house to eat bread on the Sabbath and they were watching him to see what he was going to do. They were watching him in the hopes of tripping him up. They weren't watching him for the, the sake of learning and witnessing miracles. They were watching because they really wanted to put an end to his influence and his power. Now, you and I don't have necessarily the influence and the power of Jesus Christ in the sense that, you know, uh, as it's described here, but we do have power and influence amongst other people. And people are watching you and I. They're watching, and they're, and they're not always watching, like I said, because they want to learn. They're watching because sometimes they want to trip you up. They want to, as the OJ's saying, smile in your face all the time. They want to take your place. Some people are so miserable that rather than dealing with their own misery, they want to make you miserable. And that saying that misery loves company is true. Rather than me figuring out why am I so miserable, why do I feel the way that I feel, they want to drag you and I down to where they are. But when you understand that people are going to watch you anyway, no matter where, where you go, people are watching. And if you identify, if you say that you are a child of God, people are sure enough watching. Because they want to see how is she going to handle this situation? How is he going to respond to this situation? People are watching. But thanks be to God that not only will he be with us, he will, as the, the word says, he'll fight those battles for you. All you have to do is allow him to work through you. I can tell you plenty of examples of dealing with difficult situations, whether it's been at work or some other aspect in life, and I didn't know how it was going to work out, but because I tried to do the best that I could, thank you, Holy Spirit, I tried to do the best that I could to be faithful to God, that God always worked it out. Always worked it out. I paused because I, as I was reflecting on that and thinking about that, it reminded me of the, 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 the song, um, The Lord Will Make a Way Somehow. What's the, 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 the verse that says something like, um, oh, something about, all, 
oh, I can't remember. There's a verse about doing good, try to do the best that I can, something, something along those lines. But God always has a way of bringing me, it may not work out the way I want it to work out. It may not be how I would have prescripted it in my head and in my mind, but God has always worked it out. And so Jesus is here and people are, are, are watching him and he knows this. He knew, he knows even before going in that people were watching him. And so here he's healing people, he's preaching, he's ministering to people. And then we get to chapter 15 and in chapter 15 he tells the, the parables it's three parables of something or someone that's lost there's the parable of the lost sheep the lost coin and then the lost son or the prodigal son. And we'll talk a little bit about the, the, the prodigal son uh, parable. But in chapter 15, verses 1 and 2, it tells us who's in the crowd or those who, who um, uh, are amongst the crowd. It says, then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him and the Pharisees and scribes complained saying this man receives sinners and eats with them now I know you're thinking well duh shouldn't he be doing that anyway but the Pharisees and the Sadducees had set up all of these laws upon top of laws upon top of laws adding to the Mosaic law to the point where they looked at sinners they were unclean then remember it says that there are tax collectors in the, in the crowd tax collectors were Jews who worked for the Romans. They worked for the man. They collected taxes. So nobody liked the IRS. I mean, nobody liked nobody liked the tax collectors. If any of you work for the IRS, I'm kidding. And if anybody from the IRS is listening, it's just a joke. Found out next week. Well, Reverend Dixon's been audited for the like. No, I'm kidding. But nobody liked the tax collectors. They couldn't stand them. And here Jesus is in this house, in this space, not just preaching to them, but sitting down with them, having a meal with them, having a conversation with them. 
And that's really a lesson for us in terms of, number one, the type of relationship that Jesus wants to have with you and I. Jesus desires to have a close, intimate relationship with you and I. He wants to sit down with you. And he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I'm his own, right? He wants to be in a relationship with you and I. It also tells us how we should be in relationship with one another. So much of making disciples is about relationship. It's about communicating the gospel to those that God brings into our circle, those that we come into contact with. And I really like, uh, there's a, a, another study that we're, we're doing with our virtual members and, and covenant partners where we're talking about discipleship making. And the, 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 um, um, the gentleman that put this material together talked about when Jesus calls his disciples, you know, they're out fishing and he looks and he sees what they're doing. He says, come and I will make you fishers of men. In other words, Jesus wanted to take what they had been doing, the skills that they had developed, the experience that they had and put it for use in the kingdom. And God wants to do the same with you and I. He will take what you have. He will take the experiences that you had, the trials that you've been through, the struggles that you had, as well as the blessings that you've experienced and will use that to help you and I witness to somebody else. So when we share the gospel, it's not always about taking the whatever verses we've memorized. I know there are gospel tracts. Sometimes it's just simply saying, let me tell you what God has done for me. Let me tell you, and especially, I'm a, I'm a firm believer that one of the things that God wants to do is when he brings you and I through something, is to be able to reach someone else who's going through what we've been through so we can witness to that brother witness to that sister and tell them i know it's rough but if you can hold on god is going to bring you out well how do you know because here is what he did for me if it had not been for the lord on my side where would I be? So Jesus is, is telling these three parables. First, he tells the parable of the lost sheep. The Sadducees and the Pharisees were the religious leaders of the day and sh should have been like shepherds. They should have been the ones taking care of the people spiritually so as Jesus is telling the parable of the lost sheep if anybody should have resonated gotten the message it should have been the Sadducees and the Pharisees 
Then he tells this parable of the lost coin, a woman who's lost the coin in the house, and she turns the house upside down to find this coin. And then when she finds the coin, she rejoices. Certainly, certainly, if anybody resonated with the story of some lost money, it should have been the tax collectors. So you see what I'm saying about how just like if, if I ever had the chance to teach a biblical communication class, this would be the curriculum right here. Jesus is, is, is telling these stories, these parables to people in a way that they should have, should have understood the message. Then he turns his attention to the sinners. And he tells this parable of the lost son, the prodigal son. And the son is, um, he's a little bit beside himself. Goes to his dad at some point, it's like, look at here. Give me my portion He's like J.G. Wentworth. I want my money and I want it now. Give me my portion that I may go off and do what I want with it. I mean, that is one arrogant son. Because first of all, you didn't get your inheritance until the father died. And the best that I can tell, the father's not even sick. And so here he comes. I want what I want now. The other reason it's a little odd, off kilter, is because he's the younger son. Normally, the older son got his inheritance or his share first and again nobody got anything until the father was dead or on his deathbed and there's no indication that he's anywhere near we don't, doesn't even say he's got a cold doesn't have the sniffles but here's this young the younger son give me my stuff and what does the dad do gives it to him unconditionally no stipulations, he gives it to him. Even in the middle, the midst of the son's arrogance, he says, give me my portion, the son's impatience, because the text says that there weren't too many days that went by after he got his inheritance that he leaves. He wanted what he wanted, and he was ready to go. So the father's dealing with his son's, this boy's arrogance, his impatience, and then his ignorance. Because once he gets what he asked for, I hear you, Holy Spirit. Boy, once he got what he asked for, he lost it. 
soon as he got it, he lost it. And there's a, a, a point in the parable where the boy loses not only his money, but he loses his dignity. That's right. In the, in the pen, in the pig pen. And not just like living in the pig pen. You might look at that and be like, all right, he's outside, he's got to lay somewhere. But he's eating what the pigs ate. And it's not just the, the fact that that's nasty. It's not supposed to eat swine. And now here he is eating what the swines eat. Have you ever found yourself in a pig pen? I'm not talking about the Charlie Brown character. You ever found yourself in a place and you're just like, mm-mm. I don't know, I don't know what this is. There's a Bobby Womack song, I think it's across 110th Street, it says, I've been down so long, getting up never crossed my mind. Oh, and that's, that's deep. Because there's some folks who don't even know that there's life outside the pig pen that they have become so accustomed to the conditions that they're in that they think that's how life is supposed to be. And so part of what you and I have to do is to show them lovingly, this is not where, not how God intends for you to live. Fortunately for the son, the Bible says that one day he came to himself. And I don't know what your I came to myself moment was, but if we're all honest with ourselves, everybody had or will have a came to myself moment and so because I know that I've had my come to myself moment and I know where I was before I got to that moment you know what I'm not going to do is judge somebody else who maybe hasn't gotten to that place yet because had it not been for somebody else praying for us, had us on their mind, even when we didn't even think about praying, maybe I'm just, I'm talking to myself. Prayer was the furthest thing on my mind. I'll never forget, you know, my, my um, dad used to always give these lectures, you know, and one, he would always talk about how my grandmother, his mother, would always pray that her children's days 
would be better than her days. That that was always, I mean, it was always her prayer. And through the ups and downs and changes, that prayer came to fruition. And I believe that I am a result of a praying grandmother. Now, she hasn't seen, at least from an earthly experience standpoint, I know she's watching from above, she hasn't seen some of the things that her prayers have brought about. But yet she still prayed. What, what am I trying to say? Just because it doesn't happen right now doesn't mean it won't happen. But we've got to keep praying. Some people use that acronym PUSH, P-U-S-H, pray until something happens. And I think we need to pray because something will happen. We know God has been consistently faithful. Even in the consistency of our inconsistency, God is always faithful. So here is this, this boy. He has lost his mind, lost his money, and lost his dignity. And even in coming to himself, he says, why am I here? Doesn't my father have servants and food? I'll go back and crawl and beg for him to take me back as a servant. And I know sometimes we may feel that when I hear that I, 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 I hear a sense of, of him feeling unworthy that I've, I've done all of these things I've, I've lost my money I've made a fool out of myself at one point the, the text says that he had given himself over to riotous living in other words the things that he'd been doing weren't done in secret everybody knew about it yet he comes to himself he decides he's going to go back home and he says I'm just I'm going to demote myself if you will and go back and just be a servant in my father's house then he goes back home and the father seated on the porch if I can use my spiritual imagination seated on the porch drinking some country time lemonade and he looks off in the distance and he sees the shape of somebody that looks familiar and the text says that he jumps up and runs to his son oh i promise you that when 
we come to ourselves that God is rejoicing and he will run and come meet you wherever you are not with condemnation and, and, and the son when he, when he comes back the, the father runs up to him and he hugs him and he says in, in uh, chapter, I mean, yeah, chapter 15 verse 21 remember the, the, the son had rehearsed the speech he knew what he was going to say to his dad verse 21 and the son said to him father I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son but the father said to his servants didn't even address what he had done because he had already forgiven the son for what had happened because the most important thing wasn't what he did it was who he is and because of who he is and the fact that it was his son all he cared about was that his son came home there is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus Jesus he doesn't keep a running list of the things that we've done wrong yes he knows but he's not keeping a list so he can hold it up and say here's everything you've done wrong now don't get me wrong one day we're going to have to give an account but when it comes to a saving relationship with Jesus Christ his priority is you and the love that he has for you so if I can rejoice and be grateful that God looks beyond my faults we sing the songs all the time he looks beyond my faults and sees my needs then I, who am I to judge anybody after all that God has done for me. So I want my brother and my sister to be restored, to be in a saving relationship with Jesus Christ so that we can share in his love together. The father says, he doesn't even talk about what the son did. Tells his servants, kill the fatted calf, get a robe, get a ring, because my son, who I thought was dead, has come home. God will rejoice and there will be a party in heaven when we come back to him. Every time someone comes down these aisles, I don't know about you, I like the party. Now, I can't dance, 
But I like to listen to the music and people watch it, talk about them. But anyway, if somebody's having a party, I want to go. So if heaven is waiting to throw a party, whenever someone comes to Jesus Christ, I want to do everything I can to keep the party going. So what can I do to help keep the party going? I witness to someone else and tell them about the love of Jesus Christ. Have you ever been in church and someone that you've witnessed to comes forward and either joins the church or gives their life to Christ? Don't that make you feel good? Don't you rejoice? I mean, that is exciting when someone that you've been ministering to comes forward. You feel like, man, Jesus did it. Because you do know it ain't us. It's, it's, it's the God in us, right? So if, if we know that, then let's give heaven a reason to celebrate and let's do our job and be fishers of men and women so the son comes home the father tells tells uh, his servants bring the best robe put a ring on his hand sandal on, on his feet kill the fatted calf and let us eat and be merry for my son was dead and is alive again he was lost and is found and they began to make merry I don't know about you but one day I want to hear Jesus say well done thou good and faithful servant you've been faithful over a few things that's shouting news right there it doesn't say that you've been faithful over everything you've been faithful over a few things come on in and let's have a party that's the party I want to go to I don't care anymore about these derby gavers. There's a party that I want to go to that the price has already been paid. The ticket's already paid for. And I don't have to wear a tuxedo. I don't have to hold my stomach in. I don't have to worry about my feet hurting. I don't have to worry about any of that because when I get to that party, I won't even have glasses. Won't be no diabetes. Won't be any cancer. Won't be any COVID. As the old preachers used to say, every day will be Sunday. That's the party I want to go to. And I want everybody that I know to get their invitation to that party. But they can only get there
through Jesus Christ. Amen. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the light. And I don't care what you see, what video you see on YouTube, TikTok, there are not many paths. There's one, and that is through Jesus Christ. And you and I, our responsibility is to lift him up and he will draw everybody unto him come on let's give God a hand clap of praise the people represent the church no matter where we are so stay connected and reach others as we grow in Christ